There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Sometimes I'm listening to music and I stop vibing with the beat and I really stop and listen to the lyrics. And when it comes to hip hop, I am always delighted by the wordplay. Right now, I have Meg V. Stallion's Plan B on repeat. It's a work of art, honestly. It's lyrical, it's angry, it's clever. I mean, listen to this. I should have listened to my first mind and told your ass no the first time. Told your ass no the first time. Tried to spare this nigga feelings. Now he think he hurt in mine. You cheap and I be at work while you sleep. My pussy is the most expensive meal you'll ever eat. Fuck you. Still can't believe I used to trust you. The only accolade you ever made is that I fucked you. You a bitch. If you get the chance, I bet you snitch. You'll never get a chance to tell me come and pack my shit. That's just poetry. It is what it is. And so if you're looking for a great song to rock out to this weekend, I highly recommend Plan B. It's just a great fucking song. From Luminary, this is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. On the Roxanne Gay Agenda, I talk about something that's on my mind, and then I talk with someone interesting to find out what's on theirs. On this week's agenda are inalienable rights. Unfortunately, a lot of us have been reminded this week that many of the rights we would like to take for granted, we cannot. As most of you probably know, a Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was recently leaked, and reactions, as you might imagine, have been incredibly intense because people's lives are at stake with this decision. 
One of the things that this has reminded us is that so many of the rights that marginalized people would like to take for granted, we simply cannot. Those rights are contingent upon political whims, and depending on who's in power, we have more rights or fewer rights. And that's no way to live, wondering from one day to the next if you will have bodily autonomy, if you will be able to marry the person of your choosing, if you will be able to have health care, especially gender-affirming health care. And so right now we are in a place where we must contend with this reality and figure out how do we move forward? How do we fight? How do we rage against this political machine? And I don't really have a lot of answers, but today's guest has a lot of insight into what activism can look like and how we might use our voices to create change. If you're on TikTok a lot, as most of us are, including myself, you might have come across Imani Barberin. Here she is interacting with tape of a televangelist. I do not call in sick. I don't call in gay. Hi, yes. I would like to call in crippled. It's a hold. And here she is making a trenchant observation about Zoom. Probably the most dystopian thing about this pandemic is how many times I've heard Pharrell is happy over a distorted Zoom call. (laughs) Her work extends well beyond social media. Imani Barberin is a disability activist, a writer, a TikTok phenomenon where she has over 400,000 followers. Her work appears regularly in Forbes and can also be found in Rewire, Healthline, Bitch, and more. She was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when she was two and often talks about navigating the world as a disabled Black woman. She is brilliant, funny, exuberant, and she joins me today to talk about her work and activism. Imani Barberin, welcome to the Roxanne Gay Agenda. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I understand that you got your first tattoo at the age of 19. Why was that? I badly wanted my own tattoo for a very long time. I always loved the idea of body art. Um, And it really spoke to me as a disabled person because my entire life I've been yanked and pulled and told your body doesn't function in this way and here's what we're going to do to it and here's the surgery you're going to have. And I really wanted to have something on my body that was just mine. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a scar or a bruise or a mark or something. And so I got my first tattoo at 19. It's heart GMD on my finger because my mom used to sign all my lunches, my lunch notes to me, heart, God, mom, and dad. And then she would shorten it to heart GMD. So that was my first tattoo. I too got my first tattoo at 19. Yeah. And for many similar reasons, you know, I was fat and... I didn't feel like I had any control over my body. And in truth, I didn't. A lot of people had control over my body. So I felt like I had so few options to make choices about my body that were entirely mine. Tattoos were the very first time where I felt like this is a choice I'm making for myself. And I know that you described getting your first tattoo as an act of body reclamation. And I I found that to be much the same. And I also found that you can't get just one. No. And so have you continued getting tattoos? <laughs> yes. Um, the, the count that my dad knows is that I have like seven. Um, the reality is I have like 14. Um, so, and every single time he sees me, he literally points to one and is like, is that new? I'm like, no, of course not. Um, but I have like 14 now. Girl, I do the same thing. And what's funny is that I'm 47. So I have had these tattoos for 28 years. And every time my mom sees me, which is often, she acts real brand new about it. Right. And she's like, oh, son, 
What is that on your arm? What, what do you think it is? You know what it is. Stop playing games with me. Right. And, so, and sometimes I let ashiness do the work for me because, you know, mm-hmm. it's all blended in. They can't really see it. Um, yes. But <laughs> if I'm more moisturized, they can see all of it. <laughs> I love it. In praise of ashiness. <laughs> Tattoo camouflage. Exactly. Now, I know, especially now, your activism has been incredibly necessary because the pandemic has not been the same for people with disabilities. What have the past two years been like, and how do you manage your rage while holding space for joy? Ooh, let me let me end with the rage part because I don't even know what to mm-hmm. do with that at this point. Um, but the pandemic really kind of shut everything down for disabled people, and while a lot of things became more accessible for non-disabled people, I mean things literally just stopped for mm-hmm. disabled people. Um, services stopped, certain day programs stopped. Um, there's now a direct support worker shortage. People are just now getting back to their programs that they had prior to the pandemic. Special education had no idea what to do, had no idea how to operate remotely. So children are missing their educational goals and are like two years behind now. Certain people with sensory disabilities who utilize things like tactile ASL mm-hmm. they communicate because they're deafblind could no longer do that. So they couldn't get groceries, couldn't get emergency care or care at all. Um, we could no longer have visitors with us at the hospital at the start of the mm-hmm. pandemic, so people couldn't have their own advocates or family members. Um, and this is all against the backdrop of like, hey, we're finally going to do remote work, which is something that disabled people have been begging for. Or we're going to finally have remote medicine, which again is another thing disabled people have been begging for. It's been really stressful. And then on top of that, we had medical rationing guidelines that said, who here's who's going to get care if we're at capacity? And it was basically just stereotypes of disability as well as, you know, who's going to be a waste of resources. And disabled people would always come out at the bottom of those types of things. So how do you navigate a world where you are consistently told you go last if you get consideration at all? And what kinds of strategies can you even use to to be heard and to be seen? Well, a big bustling for us was social media. And disabled people mm-hmm. had been organizing on social media for years. One of the most prominent campaigns was Crypt the Vote, which was started by Greg Baritan, Andrew Pullrang, and Alice Wong. And basically got disabled people involved in politics through the social media lens. And because of that, we are, we, a lot of disabled people already had a foothold in like policymaking and things like that through that public discourse. Um, and so whenever people discount keyboard warriors... You know, it works. You know, disabled. That's that's all we had, mm-hmm. um, and so we've been utilizing social media, utilizing earned earned media from social media in order to get our viewpoints out of there. When did you come to TikTok, and what have you found to be most useful about that particular medium? So I, I turned thirty during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. two weeks into quarantine, and I was like in my bed crying, and. My family's like, why don't you find something to do? Find something to look forward to. And I was like, fine, I'll finally get on TikTok. Because I was one of those belligerent millennials who was, oh, my God, it's just Vine, but just longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I'm too good for this. But I really <laughs> wanted to get on TikTok because I, I saw it as a platform that could connect people face-to-face during a time in which that was not possible. Um, and Vine, excuse me, and TikTok very closely replicates like FaceTime and the way that we communicate digitally now. So it made a lot of sense, as well as there's an entirely different generation of disabled folks on TikTok than there are on Instagram or Twitter or even Tumblr. Like there, it, 
social media platforms kind of follow generations Mm -hmm. um, and different demographics. So I figured if I wanted to expand my disability advocacy, it had to be on TikTok. And then I could be a little bit more fun, a little bit more person to person on that platform. Was there a specific TikTok that really blew up and got people starting to really pay attention to you? Because one of the things that I have found on TikTok is that it's fucking overwhelming. Yeah. I love it, but there are so many creators and the algorithm will serve up what it wants to serve up. So like what really helped you to break through? Well, the first big TikTok that I did, I think it got like 56,000 likes. Um, That was like my second or third one. And it was during like the Black Creators Day. Like it was Uh was like a grassroots organized Black Creators Day. And I used it to kind of tell people like this pandemic is going to really hit Black folk hard. You need to be Uh careful. You need to like be vigilant. It's going to hit us most. It kind of blew up because, you know, it was a Creators Day. Um, And then another one kind of blew up that was about um, disability and Oompa Loompas and the Holocaust mm-hmm. um, because they couldn't find a lot of little people actors for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that's mm-hmm. because disabled people were killed first during the Holocaust. And that like got like four million views. And it wasn't even something that was all that involved. But I mm-hmm. was just like giving context to something somebody said. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
one of the things that comes with this kind of visibility on social media is not necessarily backlash, but cruelty, harassment. How do you deal with the inevitable trolling when you are just doing your own work and minding your own business? I know this is stereotypical, but I'm an Aries. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to fight some people. And like mm-hmm. I, I'll start, I'll make an entire video response to somebody and then be like, you know what? Probably not the time. Probably not the best mm-hmm. use of my energy. Um, and so I'll actually either leave it in the drafts or just delete it entirely. Um, but there are some things where I'm like, I can't let this slide. Um, mm-hmm. I've had people send me death threats over getting my groceries delivered because I was an enemy of the working class. Um, what? Oh, yeah. Like literally but, two like, months before the pandemic, too, when which everybody's getting their groceries delivered. So, so don't let people do their jobs that they get paid for? Well, the thing is, the delivery person left my groceries in the lobby of my building, and I had asked him to mm-hmm. come up because I can't physically carry them. That's why I get right. them delivered. And he was like, oh, I'm parked in the fire lane. And I was like, I could see where he was parked. I was like, no, you're not. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know... I just asked him, can you please bring it up? But it, this is something that happens to disabled people all the time. So yeah. I tweeted about it. So I was like, disabled people, you've probably dealt with this all the time. And like the dirtbag left of the internet really just went yes. after me and was like, you're an enemy of the working class. You're just lazy. And then literally two months later, nobody could get to the grocery store because of the pandemic. And everybody was getting their groceries delivered. So yeah, and I got a couple of death threats telling me to off myself or yeah things like that yeah i've had a, a tussle or two with the dirt bag left and um they can be fairly relentless especially because they feel like they're being righteous they um have no boundaries and no limits yeah. does it ever make you want to stop doing the work you do or does it just fire you up even more uh, I don't know when to stop sometimes i mm. i get like really fired up i get easily excitable my primary concern is like the disability community because I know if I'm getting this as somebody who's in public, I know that other disabled people are getting it as well in like big ways and small. And so I kind of want to address like the sentiment behind the behavior. But sometimes I'm like, this is exhausting. This is terrifying. Um, my mom is like, can you get somebody to read your notifications for you? Because I don't want you absorbing all that yourself. I'm like, well, no, I have to be able to have the flexibility to respond. So. It makes me want to do more, but also at the same time, I'm not somebody who recognizes my own boundaries in in some ways. Uh One of the things I've often thought is that if Black women, people with disabilities, queer people, trans people, really anyone in a marginalized body, if we weren't spending so much of our energy fighting for our lives or advocating for our communities, et cetera, like we would probably either be president or like making our own little rocket ships to travel around the universe. <laughs> what would you be doing if you did not have to spend so much of your energy as an activist? I would be writing and acting and creating. It's in my blood. I'm actually like one in a long legacy of artists and musicians. And mm-hmm. and I started this work, of course, to tell my story as a disabled black woman, but also to kind of create the representation that I'd always yearned for. And I kind of sidestepped into advocacy because in order to get through the door, I have to advocate for the door to be open. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't usually want to see disabled people, especially disabled people of color, in those spaces at all. And so I found myself like, we really need to get more political power. We need to get more social power. We can create hashtags. And then I just kind of like sidestepped and was like, and and now this point where 
well, what am I doing? Like, you know, like <laughs> all of this stuff kind of feels like it has been for not in a lot of ways. So why am I not creating? Why am I not writing? Why am I not doing the things I was always going to set out to do? So are you going to make time to do those things? I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, know. I mean, it's a tough question. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, it's a simple question, but it's a tough question. And one I also grapple with for different reasons. But, you know, it, it's so much harder than you might think to make that kind of time to just create because first you have to have like a clear mind yeah, to relax. And it's hard to relax when you feel like you're constantly fighting for your life or the life lives of people that you care about. Exactly. Uh, it's really challenging. I agree. I, I, yeah. yeah. As you well know, a lot of people are like, well, we're wrapping this pandemic up. Like, oh. we're good to go. Let's uh, do away with masks. Let's just take away, you know, sort of all of the accommodations that we have seen over the past two years. It's time to move forward. We already knew that people, that disabled people were being left behind, but now it seems like they're being completely abandoned. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with this sort of systemic indifference it's not that i can understand where they're coming from i know what their what their motivation behind this sentiment is and that is people who had privileges prior to the pandemic who didn't have to do so much to survive on a daily basis want to go back to that time of well life was easy for me for everybody else let's just go back to the way things were um so i i can see where they're coming from i don't necessarily agree with it but i can see where that idea manifests from Getting back to your question about rage, like I, I don't know what to do with the rage mm-hmm. that we have seen all of the death and devastation, have seen every single institution fail us, have seen one another as the people that we actually truly are. Because the people you are in times of good are not exactly the same people that you are in times of bad. That kind of mm-hmm. gets to the core of who you are. We've seen exactly who everybody is. And to just go back to normal... <laughs> What do you mean? What, what, what is that even going to mean to anybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and so normal really is not where people need to be and what people need to be working towards. We need to be getting back to new and progression and actually trying to further things and further goals within this country and amongst each other as a community. Um, and every single time people get in a, a chance to advance and get to where they want to go, they leave disabled people behind because they think, well, they they weren't, you know, really of value to begin with. Or, you know, they don't really have any goals. They just exist over there. When in reality, we, as badly as anybody else, probably even more so, want to get to our lives. And this idea that we can get back to normal is keeping us from that. How do we... And again, I now let me be clear. I don't think that marginalized people need to solve the circumstances of their own oppression. But at the same time, I'm curious, how do you think we get to a place where we abandon this idea of getting back to normal and instead engineer ourselves toward a new normal? I think people are going to need to see things completely collapse. Because I think what what we're watching... What we're watching right now is things on the verge. And so we, <laughs> we in our minds think that, oh, this is still functioning. If we just make it a little bit easier, it'll get back to normal and then we'll have a little bit of breathing room. Everything's going to get to back to where it was. That's not the case. They are inches, if not centimeters away from collapsing entirely. And people want to ignore it because it doesn't affect their daily lives. So people need to see that it does and it will. Every single aspect to our life is on very, very much so 
thin ice and people are tap dancing on top of it. So mm-hmm. you either need to watch it collapse or you need to f- divert course because the way we're, we're coasting is not the way it's going to be and not the way we're going to move forward. Um, and so people are very much so visual are very receptive to communication messages visually. Like people don't believe things that they don't see, despite our a lot of our nation believing in a lot of things they don't see. But anyways, uh-huh. we were very visual in the way we need to see things happen. And so I think people need to see what the collapse looks like, see what the future could look like, and then try to actually pave a way that is inclusive of everybody. Now, what kinds of policies would contribute to that inclusion for everyone and sort of a better world. I don't think a perfect world exists, but what kinds of policies could make our world better, especially for people with disabilities? Well, the very first thing we need to do, so our our country actually legislates disabled people into poverty. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to have access to healthcare, if you want to have access to services, a lot of them are income-based. I Meaning if you make more than $2,000 to your name ever, like on a monthly basis, then you don't qualify for Social Security income. You don't qualify for certain Medicaid and Medicare. You are literally legislated into poverty. So people spend all of their money trying to get these services and then only get like a payout of $850 a month at most. So we need to do away with income limits uh-huh. for uh, disability services, health care, and accommodations. That's the first thing that needs to go. Um, and then you can't get married because of that. And also a lot of families, parents, spouses cannot save for retirement because if you combine the assets, it's too much money for that one person with a disability to actually have access to those services. Um, another thing that we need to address is the minimum wage and wage increases for direct support workers. Direct mm-hmm. support workers are the people that help disabled people on a b- daily basis. Um, and they are understaffed right now. It is at a critical point, badly. And they make, on average, I think in my state of Pennsylvania, about $13 an hour for one of some of the most involved jobs in our country. They need to be doing more to increase those wages. And a lot of those um, direct support workers are queer people or women of color. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're watching all these systems harm multiple people just because it's centered on disability. So those are the two main things that need to happen. We also need to get private equity out of disability services. There's some, mm-hmm. there's some horrific reporting out of BuzzFeed News talking about how private equity is basically costing disabled people our lives in institutions, in congregate care settings. That needs to end. We need to actually create services where disabled people can live in the community. We need community-based services so people can live in community with their families and friends and have a support system. Um, so those are the main three ones that I can think of right now. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. When I first learned about the $2,000 total limit, I was shocked because that's really just a systemic way of keeping millions of people in really abject poverty because to have less than $2,000 to your name truly means that you have no resources should an emergency come. And to keep you from something like marriage, if you should so choose as to marry someone, that means like what we're telling the disability community is that you don't get to live full lives. You don't get to have nice things. Mm-hmm. It seems like a punishment. Do you think is you know we all we tend to like uh, not me necessarily, but people tend to believe that of course the Democrats are sort of doing better. But I know that you can't stand Biden and his tweets. Is the Biden administration doing anything in terms of disability advocacy and creating change? I think what most disabled people are focused on is kind of the COVID-related policies as well as the way that. Everything intersects with disability. So mm-hmm. when we think about disability, we think about it along its own path, right? Its own axis. But disability is the most diverse marginalized group in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about the fact that racism is inherently disabling, when transphobia is inherently disabling, when queerphobia is inherently disabling, it paints a very stark picture as to who is actually being left behind. And so... When we talk about loan forgiveness, like disabled people, some disabled people got their loans forgiven, but making sure that that is equitable for everybody, that needs to happen. Uh-huh. You know, even Roe v. Wade, you know, disabled people are amongst the highest to be sexually assaulted in this country. We, uh-huh. are, we are 
way more likely to be assaulted. And yet most of the conversations around reproductive health equity do not even concern themselves with us because they do not think of us disability and sex in the same way. So it's kind of those types of things. I just dislike very much so the idea that politicians, especially left-leaning politicians, um, are tweeting like they're the rest of us. Like, I find yeah. that to be very insulting. You know, <laughs> like, we should be forgiving loans. You forgive loans. Like, I'm, I'm sitting in my living room working from my laptop. You, you're in the Oval Office. Do something. Yeah. Um, and I think and also, so many of them are so breathtakingly wealthy. Right. Like, oh my Nancy gosh. Pelosi, you have $300 million. Right. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, we need to get universal health care going. Uh, XOXO, Biden. What the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> do something. Says the motherfucker who has universal health care. Right. It's outrageous. Oh, it is outrageous. Yeah, that's and, the thing that bothers me most. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's interesting to see all of the intersections. You know, as a fat person, I have long believed that the fat community and the disability community have far more in common oh, yeah. than not. Because the world is very inaccessible to fat people, like, the, you know, seating, the amount of walking required in various places. Yeah. Can you fit in a ride at an amusement park from entertainment to just like necessary things? Doctors look at you and and just, you know, you could have strep throat and they're like, lose weight. Yeah. And so how can the disability and fat communities work together more effectively? Because I do think that we deal with similar, though not identical, struggles. And, you know, many hands make light work. Yeah. So one of the things, like, I really grapple with the idea of, of fatness itself being a disability. Mm-hmm. But under the social model of, of disability, fatness is a disability because we purposely disable fat people, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, like, the social model of disability says that your diagnosis is one thing, your body as it functions in the world is one thing, but we actively make things harder for you because... You are, you do have this type of body. And so in terms of like the smaller seats, the lengths that we have to go through to walk and doctors not believing us, we actively disable fat people. I think what needs to happen is more people need to recognize that fat phobia is like a projection of ableism. A lot of the ways in which we talk about fat phobia is very much so in line with ableism. In, uh-huh. in the terms of the way that people police fat bodies is very similar um, they're like, well, you're, you know, you're going to have diabetes if you keep it going along this way. You're going to keep having all these diagnoses and all these issues. Those are all disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're really angry with fat people for, quote unquote, choosing to be disabled um, in their eye. And I think that a sense of body neutrality is where we need to really start heading towards, um, mm-hmm. as well as making sure that we fight for representation in medicine, educating physicians and doctors and all of these people. We also need to be making spaces accessible for all. There's nobody that um, accessibility punishes. Um, accessibility is for everybody. If we had more of that mindset, things would be better for everybody, including fat people and disabled people. Um, so creating a, a mindset of accessibility is also where we need to go. That's something I very much want to see. And I, and I agree, like, in terms of you know, is fatness a disability? I don't inherently think so, but I do think it's adjacent. I do think there's a common cause there. And body neutrality, I do think is one of the ways forward because it allows us to just acknowledge that we all live in bodies. Those bodies have needs 
And as a society, let's like start to figure out how to address those needs. And when you say it out loud, it seems like, oh, so simple. But when you look at the world, it just seems like, wow, we are literally miles away from anything even close to being equitable. I think there's also this desire to treat all bodies the same in order to Mm -hmm. have body neutrality. And that's not the case. I could recognize the ways in which my body is different and has different needs. It has different accessibilities, but my body's going to be there. Like regardless, my body's going to be there and we can apply the exact same logic to fatness. You're not punishing yourself by being fat. You're not Mm -hmm. punishing yourself by not getting things. You're not punishing yourself by not fitting into all of these things. You are being punished. And you are going to take your body with you. So you might as well feel that it is yours and that you have possession over it and you have autonomy over it, even as hard as that is these days. Do you feel most days that you have autonomy over your body? I could barely get my legs to do what I want on a daily basis. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have autonomy over my body, but my body talks back. Um, Mm. I, I do, to a certain extent, feel autonomy over my body and I felt it more so during the pandemic because I don't have I don't have to be in public around non-disabled people who are grabbing at me and asking me questions and um, trying to hug me and like pick me up or I don't know but I feel way more autonomy being alone than I do in public Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like more myself and uh, I'm very much so an introvert because of the ways I've been socialized uh, with my disability. I know that you recently quit your job as a communications manager at a disability nonprofit. Why did you quit your job? And what does the future look like for you professionally? Uh, so I, <laughs> I, I quit my job. Um, I knew after spending months uh, reading over medical rationing guidelines um, and like begging people to take this seriously and begging people to take the disability community seriously um, in regards to the pandemic, like it was just breaking my heart every single day to watch as the disability community was disregarded. And even to this day, it, it just, it hurts a lot to, to watch as people just be like, well, I just want to get back to normal because I have a life to live. Um, mm-hmm. And automatically saying the quiet part out loud. Um, and so I knew like shortly after that, I was like, I can't keep doing this. It felt like drinking through a fire hose for two years because mm-hmm. disability advocacy had so many ripple effects as it pertained to this pandemic. So I was like, I have to, I have to take care of myself. Um, and then I, the second time that happened was like, I read a book for pleasure and cried. And it wasn't even a sad book. It was just like, I cried because I hadn't had the focus to enjoy something. And I couldn't figure out how to enjoy things that I had enjoyed for years. Mm-hmm. I was just burnt out. And so what I want to do with this free time is like get back to the creating that I always had wanted to do and get back to the projects and the artistry and just having fun with the work that I do. I can't keep pouring from an empty vessel, um, Mm -hmm. as they say. There's nothing left. It seems like a great time to refill that vessel. So you've mentioned creative projects and acting, and I would love to know, like, what's your dream project and role? Oh, so my dream project, I've been working on it for like three, four years. Um, I am working on a series of my dating life as a disabled black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's hilarious because nobody knows what to do with you when you're dating while well, disabled and black. Like they know, they know the perceptions of being disabled. They know the perceptions of being black. They don't know like the combination. So I'm working on a comedy series and I'd love to play myself. That would be my goal is to kind of show more disabled black folks in these situations in like the light of, of day and those types of things. I'm also working on my memoir 
if I were you, I'd kill myself and other disabled compliments. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm working on that too. You know, I know that comedy is a big part of the work that you do, both as an activist and also just in your creative work. When did you first know you were funny? Oh, my dad and I used to practice. So I, <laughs> when I was like nine or eight or nine years old, this girl in my like third grade class kept bullying me. And so my dad and I would like run drills of comebacks and we mm-hmm. would go over them and over and over them. And then like, I would just insult her every single time she tried to come for me. So, um, and then I'd like, we practiced that growing up at the dinner table throughout my entire childhood. So um, I knew it was, I knew I was witty. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really realize I was funny until, you know, I started tweeting and getting more in public. And does the affirmation that comes from people engaging with you on social media, I mean, we Lord knows we know there's a lot of negative stuff, but there is a lot of affirmation. Does that encourage you to continue with the work that you do? And does it help as a laboratory for trying out jokes? I feel like when it comes to um, being disabled, I, the affirmations usually rely on who it comes from. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes from non-disabled people who are just like, you're so inspiring, I love you. I'm like, ugh. Because that's the stereotype they expect of me. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I have no desire to, like, play to that. But when disabled people are like, oh, my goodness, I finally feel seen. I get this. Like, this is funny. This is funny to me. Like, this is a disability joke. I love that. That's the type of stuff I love. Because I don't, I have no desire to make the world easier for non-disabled people. Like, Mm -hmm. by default, yeah, of course. But I just want more disabled people to feel seen and understood. So, like, when it comes from them, I'm like, absolutely, I love this. And for you, what makes a joke a good joke? (laughs) <laughs> whether non-disabled people feel uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years is like, and that I'm conti- I'm still learning, is like how to sit with discomfort instead of like pushing it away or being defensive. And so how have you learned to be comfortable with discomfort? I've learned when to be quiet. Mm. I think one of the greatest skills in any sort of advocacy or just trying to understand other people is just to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when on social media, there's this push to just be loud. And, and no matter what you say, you you'll, you can apologize later. Um, there's certain things where I'm just like, I don't need to talk on this. I don't mm-hmm. need to speak on it. I don't need because I, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know well enough to actually say anything worthwhile um, without actually harming somebody because I don't know enough the intricacies to to navigate that space. And so I take more time to listen and try to sit with, you know, okay, I don't know much about the Jewish faith. I'm going to sit here and listen. Like people will see me reposting stuff, but they'll never see me talking about stuff I don't know about. Yeah, and, and I know when to be quiet. <laughs> That's my greatest gift is silence. You know, I, I agree. Um, and the older I get, the more I, I understand when to speak and when to listen and sort of figure out like where my lane is and how to stay the fuck in it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Amani, this has been an amazing conversation. And thank you for joining me on my little podcast. And I think you're fucking hilarious. Thank you. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much. You can keep up with me and the podcast on social media on Twitter at rgay and Instagram at roxannegay74. Our email address is roxannegayagenda at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. From Luminary, the Roxanne Gay Agenda is produced by Curtis Fox. Our researcher is Yesenia Moreno. 
And production support is provided by Caitlin Adams and Meg Pillow. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. Thank you for listening. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.